0: Turn to Luke chapter 11, our topic. Now, we last week we looked at Christ casts out Satan, and this week we're continuing with application, <clears throat> and we could call this no neutrality. That's going to be the centerpiece of it, and then we're going to look at what happens when the demon leaves and comes back with uh, seven more evil spirits. And I'll begin reading <clears throat> at verse uh, Verse 17. <clears throat> But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided itself is brought to des- desolation. And a house divided itself against its stand falls. And a house divided against a, ho- a house falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub.' <clears throat> and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with a finger of finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger man than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoils. And uh, this is the text we're continuing with, verse 23. (coughs) He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And also verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man and he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds a swept. It's swept and put in order. And he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So we're going to look at neutrality and then we're going to look at what happens when uh, somebody makes kind of a reformation in life, but does not, is not actually converted, and that's true of cultures and societies. <clears throat> As we consider Christ's position on no neutrality, there are other applications that need to be made in order to understand how fundamental and important our Lord's teaching is. First, there can be no epistemological or intellectual neutrality between Christians and unbelievers. Now, epistemology deals with the one's theory of knowledge, or how do we know things correctly, How do we have knowledge? How can we have true knowledge? The Christian worldview is based on a number of biblical facts that explicitly contradict the secular humanistic worldview. Secular humanism is based on atheistic naturalism. Man is all there is as far as determining law and ethics and so forth. Now we believe that Yahweh, the infinite personal triune God of Scripture, created the whole universe and everything in it out of nothing. (coughs) Creation ex nihilo. There is the Creator who is uncreated, eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, holy, ontological. And there is the creation which is totally dependent on God every millisecond just to exist. If God withdrew His power, everything would immediately disappear. He's upholding every atom, every molecule. So there is a creator-creature distinction. And all things in the universe derive their existence and meaning from God. Okay, we're talking about the Christian worldview. Secular humanists or atheistic naturalists, who of course, as you know, dominate our civil government, they dominate all of our universities and colleges and even the public school system, (coughs) they dominate our culture, they dominate... Hollywood, they dominate uh, most corporations, believe that the whole universe and everything in it came about through chance plus matter plus time. It just happened. It's arbitrary. Whatever exists is a cosmic accident without real purpose or meaning. They teach that man is the pinnacle of this evolutionary process, must autonomously, that is, apart from God, apart from the Word of God, apart from Christ, must autonomously determine the meaning of each fact in the universe. <coughs> and that's what they teach. The Christian view of arriving at true knowledge is that we are always dependent on God's definition of reality. Everything must be interpreted in accordance with the whole Christian system or world and life view. There's no such thing as a brute fact. All facts are interpreted facts. You approach everything in life with a particular world and life view. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, we're told in Proverbs chapters 1 and 2. We are to think God's thoughts after him. And Here's what Van Til says, and most of this application on neutrality is based on his many books I have. <clears throat> it is indeed impossible for any man to make any statement about any fact of experience without doing so in terms of an all-inclusive view of reality. We may start from the assumption that every bit of scientific Search for facts already proceeds upon a basic view with respect to reality. All men presuppose, whatever the name they use for it, a synoptic view of reality as a whole. And we continue to call it metaphysics. Now, metaphysics is a theory of what is. What is reality? What is the universe? Epistemology is the theory of knowledge. How do we know things? <coughs> and here's another quote. That was from the case for Calvinism. Here's from Introduction to Systematic Theology. Quote, The fight between Christianity and non-Christianity is, in modern times, no, no piecemeal affair. It is a life and death struggle between two mutually opposed world and life views. End of quote. So with this in mind, we can say that one's metaphysics, one's view of what is, affects or determines one's epistemology, one's theory of knowledge. You can't separate those two things. If you believe that the universe came out by chance, it's just matter randomly floating in the void, you're going to have a different view of how do we arrive at knowledge than if you believe that everything was created by an infinite personal God of Scripture. In other words, one com- concept of ultimate reality affects one's own methodology ology, and or criteria, of arriving at real truth or knowledge. For the consistent Christian, his concept of science flows from his submission of thought to Christ speaking in the scriptures. And if you know anything about science in the West, Christendom produced the first scientists because they believed in a universe. Nowadays, they don't even talk about a universe anymore. They talk about multiverses and ultimate different realities. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in physics now. The infallible Word of God is the presupposition that determines how he looks at and determines the meaning of every particular fact. The unbeliever presupposes that the infinite personal God of the Bible does not exist and that everything is a product of chance. Consequently, according to his own worldview, man himself is the ultimate authority and source for attaining true knowledge. And this is very I know this is a bit intellectual, this is super important because once you understand this, when you see all these atheists on YouTube who are mocking Christianity, you're going to see that what they say is very arbitrary and very subjective. It's not based in science. it's not based in factuality. It's based on their false worldview as it looks at the facts in a false manner. His presupposition. Naturalistic atheism. Consequently, all of his theories will come to an atheistic naturalistic conclusion, no matter how clearly the evidence proves that their theories are wrong and even impossible. Now, you remember, uh, it was about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, it was it Tennessee tried to teach intelligent design next to evolution in public schools? Now, evolution by no means has been proved. In fact, there's a crisis even among atheist intellectuals who teach evolution because the evidence simply completely points in the opposite direction, and even atheists are starting to admit that. You have to keep in mind that when macroevolutionary theory came into popularity in the 1800s, 1860s and 70s, Darwin and others, people had a very rudimentary knowledge of single-celled organisms and how complex life was. Now that we know about RNA and DNA and how complex life is, their theories are just completely have been disproven and shown to be absurd. <clears throat> a glaring example of this clinging to the impossible, of course, is their theory of macroevolution. Now, I bring these observations up because many Christians do believe that we can have intellectual common ground with unbelievers. They believe that true Christians and secular humanists can agree on the nature of logic or reason as well as empirical evidence. And the whole uh, classical apologetics is built on this theory. And you're basically, pretend you're not a Christian, and you're going to use logic, I'm going to use logic, you're going to look at the facts, I'm going to look at the facts, and I'm going to show you that Scripture's the way to go. Well, that's you're presupposing unbelief to do that. You're presupposing their position. You can't understand any fact without interpreting it according to God speaking in the Scriptures. Now, on the surface, they may, it may appear to be true, in that pagan John and Christian Bob can agree that such and such is an apple or a chair. and I call this uh, functional knowledge or surface knowledge. A pagan can design a car. He can do heart surgery. He can do mathematical formulations that land somebody on the other side of the moon. But that's all surface knowledge. But when you get into why we are here, how did we get here, creation, meaning ethics, and anything deeper than that, anything deeper than surface knowledge, there is no agreement whatsoever. The moment one gets into the nature of reality or asks where does the universe come from or why are we here, any appearance of agreement completely disappears. The unbeliever assumes the ultimacy of the human mind. He assumes that the true God does not and cannot exist, and therefore suppresses the truths about God's re- uh, revelation, God, about God revealed in general revelation, the universe around us, in unrighteousness, before he even looks at the facts around him. He has already taken the position that he will not accept and cannot accept as true anything that points to the truth of divine revelation and the existence of Yahweh, the infinite personal God of Scripture. I have a big section in my library on uh, evolution. Big, thick volumes by Christian scientists that have gone into every aspect of the field. The evidence against evolution now is absolutely overwhelming. But they will never admit that. And you say, well, show me the missing links. There should be thousands of missing links between you get the, the humans and then you get the chimpanzee. Where's the thousands of things in between? And they might point to a bird who might have some feathers and maybe have some scales. Oh, see, there's the missing link. Well, if you look at that from the Christian world and life view, maybe God created a bird that has some scales and some feathers. If you assume something before you go to the facts, you're going to find what you assume in the facts. Do you understand? Because because he comes to the evidence with materialistic and monistic that is, there's nothing transcendent above or beyond the material realm, presuppositions, he views the existence of God, divine revelation, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as impossible, as foolish myths. His starting point, for what he regards as real, acceptable scientific knowledge, will, before any logic or facts are even considered, allow for no evidence for the truths of Christianity. Keep that in mind when you watch these atheists on YouTube. When you keep, when you understand how your worldview affects your epistemology, how you arrive at truth, how your your view of knowledge, how metaphysics uh, affects epistemology. Once you understand that, you'll see how foolish these idiots are on YouTube that are asserting atheism. Basically, what they're asserting is arbitrary, it's subjective, and it's inconsistent. The unbeliever is on the devil's side, and this always presupposes A, the autonomy of man. Man is autonomous, and that's the only way to arrive at truth, is to be autonomous. B, the universe is a product of chance, not God. C, any laws are simply products of a chance universe, not God's providence or control. D, autonomous man is the source of ethics and knowledge. The facts are only what autonomous man says they are. Not God speaking in the scriptures. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. Well, uh, what is the evidence for homosexual marriage? What is the evidence that homosexuality is a blessed, wonderful thing, which is what we're told today by our civil government the public school system by corporations and so forth, there is no evidence whatsoever. It's just completely we declare this to be good because we're man and we say so. There is. It's obviously unnatural. It's, it's not an entrance. It's an exit. It's obviously disgusting. The Christian position is the opposite of the secular humanistic view. <clears throat> the inspired infallible word of God the Bible, is his standard and guide by which he interprets any fact or every aspect of human experience. Okay, they take refuge in autonomy and, and presuppose that God can't exist. Presuppose the universe by chance. Think of it. The universe was a singularity. The size of an atom, basically. And it just arbitrarily one day exploded and created the whole universe. They think that's more reasonable than creation by an infinite personal God. It's obvious they have an axe to grind against God, because what they believe is absolutely absurd. Now, we're not to be like Romanists or Thomists, who supposedly build the lower story of truth using reason and science, and then add on the upper story of truth regarding spiritual matters using the Bible. And that's the way evangelicals think, and that's basically classical apologetics. Look, we all have reason and logic. We all have empiricism, or you know, looking at obs- making observations. And if we just use that and we're objective, we'll, we'll all agree. No, it doesn't work that way you interpret the facts, you interpret ethics, you interpret reality according to your world and life view. So if your world and life view is that white people are intrinsically evil and racist and blacks are intrinsically wonderful and blessed, then when you see uh, blacks murdering each other in the city on a massive scale and committing all sorts of crazy crimes and the disintegration of black families and so forth, well, it's not their. F- it's obviously can't be their fault. It's the white racist's fault. And of course, I lived in a ghetto. I went to you know I went to seminary in a ghetto in West Philadelphia. They've moved out of there since. But I went to seminary. In a, uh, uh, most black people in the ghetto don't even encounter white people. <laughs> they live an immoral lifestyle with no fathers in the home, and they live off the dole of the state. A lot of them. It's their own fault. But anyway. Biblical Christianity is not an add-on when human autonomy reaches its limits, but rather must be the foundation, reference point, or lens by which we can only truly understand everything in the world around us. It's not an add-on. We have no common ground with unbelievers other than surface knowledge. We both must live in the universe that God has created. We both must function. It's functional knowledge. You have to function in the universe that God has made. You may believe in uh, that uh, rocks and cliffs are an illusion. Maybe you're a Hindu. But when you go rock climbing, you have to rock climb as a Christian. You understand? You have to live and function in the universe that God has made. That's why... Unbelievers can be great heart surgeons and design beautiful cars. Technology is not dependent on knowing the truth. Technology is dependent on functioning in God's universe. Otherwise, if you design a bad car, it's, somebody's going to get killed. On the surface level, there's apparent agreement. But the moment we go deeper into the nature and meaning of reality, and how one should live, everything breaks down. There is a radical antithesis between Christian thought and unbelieving thought. Not only is the unbelieving position immoral, sinful, and rebellious, but also intellectually indefensible and false. Because their presuppositions are based on human autonomy and the idea that science and truth can only be achieved by rejecting Christ and scripture, their conclusions about meaning and reality are always false. And of course, I should bring in the fact that because of the fall, we're all born depraved. We're all born with an axe to grind against the true and living God and theologians refer to this as the noetic effects of sin, not Noah, but knowledge, the noetic effects of sin. Men reason incorrectly, and Van Til compares it to, you may have a saw and the blade works great, but because of the corruption of sin, the blade always cuts in the wrong direction. So the blade may turn, but it's always going to go in the wrong direction. This complete lack of neutrality between the Christian and non-Christian position is also demonstrated by the biblical teaching where in the necessity of the new birth or renewal of man. John three three and following, Romans six three and following, twelve two, Ephesians four twenty three and following, and of course Colossians three ten. Due to man's depravity and hostility to God from birth, Romans eight seven, Ephesians four seventeen to nineteen. The natural man cannot know the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot obey the truths of Scripture and love the truths of Scripture apart from a work of sovereign grace. That's a fact. The unbeliever's view of logic, truth, evidence, knowledge, and science is shaped by his continuous suppression of the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18 and following. For this reason, Paul regarded all pagan philosophies as useless and harmful, Colossians two eight. Paul doesn't qualify that. Paul doesn't say, well, I think Plato's really good. No, Aristotle's really good, but these other guys, I don't like them. Because the early church fathers who got into Greek philosophy, you know, oh, they, they were Platonists. And they said, well, Plato, he must have been a Christian. Or Aristotle, how wonderful. Uh, Thomas Aquinas built a whole, his whole system on Aristotle uh, and so forth. But no, Paul says they're all bad. They are according to the basic principles of the world, the fallen anti-Christian world order that opposes itself to God and not according to Christ, Colossians 2.8b. By the Spirit, the Apostle understands that whenever professing Christians have attempted to incorporate pagan philosophy into Christian theology or secular psychology into Christian counseling or the world's concept of entertainment into worship, the results have always been a spiritual disaster. Why does God tell us repeatedly in Scripture, don't add to the Word? Don't detract from it. Don't add your own ideas to it. Don't add your own human traditions to it. Stick to what I tell you. Why does God do that? Well, because we're sinners. And because the Word's sufficient. We have to let God define what He wants and not act autonomously. Because the devil or world's position and the Christian position is incompatible and radically at odds with each other, such attempts at neutrality or syncretism has always resulted in a pagan takeover of the Christian position. Now, if you haven't read J. Adams, I highly recommend reading all his stuff on counseling. <coughs> he's a... I think he's Orthodox Presbyterian. He's a Reformed guy who, when he was going to seminary, he noted they, for counseling, they made him read all these secular psychology books. It had nothing to do with the Bible, and he thought this is a bunch of unbiblical nonsense. Why are we studying this? He says Scripture tells us everything we need for biblical counseling, and he developed what he calls newthetic counseling, which is basically counseling based solely on the scriptures, not pagan psychology, pagan psychiatry. Which a lot of the time is based on the idea of blame shifting. You know, oh you have problems, you're depressed, oh it's your parents' fault. You didn't they didn't treat you good when you were a little kid. <clears throat> well, that doesn't solve any problems. That's just blame-shifting. Your parents might have been jerks, but if you have problems with sin and problems with the wrong attitude, you can't blame anybody else but yourself. It is a lack of faith in the veracity of God's Word and a lack of trust in the absolute reliability and truth of the biblical position that leads professing Christians to embrace heathenism and use autonomous satanic thinking in place of the perfect, sufficient, inspired Word of the living God. That's true in counseling, that's true in systematic theology, that's true in philosophy, that's true in worship. Pragmatism, humanism, human autonomy in worship leads to complete corruption of worship. And if you study, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you ever study the history of modernism or liberal Christian liberalism, it's one theologian adopting Schleiermacher. There are, all these theologians are adopting some secular pagan philosophy and, and mixing it with theology. That's what it's all about. Uh, Bardianism and, and, and Christian existentialism flows from pagan philosophy as well. We must remember, First <clears throat> 1 Corinthians one eighteen that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Christ's teaching on the impossibility of neutrality between himself and the devil, or Christians and non-Christians, not only means that we must avoid any form of syncretism at any cost, which has been the downfall of professing Christians throughout history. The Roman Catholic Church is simply a history of syncretism. The modern declension declension of evangelicalism is simply a repetition of the same thing. They got rid of Calvinism. They got rid of biblical worship. They incorporated entertainment. But it also teaches us that the Christian world and life view must form the basis or foundation of how we gather knowledge and analyze reality. We reject autonomous human thought, autonomous human reason, for an explicitly Christian use of reason. We're not against using reason or logic. You have to use logic to communicate. but our logic is Christian logic. We reject an autonomous empiricism, that is the study of science or the facts, that is autonomous, rejecting the Bible, and study reality through the lens of Scripture. We must self-consciously and habitually look at empirical or scientific evidence as standing on Christian or biblical presuppositions. Now, if you study church history, <clears throat> when evolution came along, macroevolution, late eighteen hundreds, there was a great crisis. Because you have to understand, Christians were used to thinking that there was, uh, no, there was uh, neutrality. They believed that science, you could trust science, and that what they said had to be true. And so, there when they evolution came along, macroevolution, of course, that completely contradicts the, the account in Genesis. So there was this great crisis. And you had, uh, of course, a big, sec- all the mainline denominations adopted modernism or liberalism and rejected the authority of Scripture said it's full of myths, and now they have sodomite marriage and sodomite pastors and lesbian pastors and they're totally satanic synagogues of Satan. You had uh, many evangelicals who taught the gap theory, that all the Stuff evolved, and then there was a big gap, and then God created man. All these crazy theories, but all that's been disproven. If you just stick to what Scripture teaches and hold to it firmly, I guarantee you that eventually your position will be proven true. Uh, you don't have to prove that it's true empirically, but it will be. You know, modern science has proven that, evo- that everything they taught in the 1870s and 90s and 80s is a complete lie. Now, they don't admit it, because if they admit it, they have to say that God exists. But it has been disproven. So to pretend to be, or to try to be neutral, is immoral and impossible. There is no such thing as an uninterpreted fact. Facts cannot be considered outside of one's system of thought. For the Christian, the ontological, that is the self-contained, in need of nothing outside of himself, triune God of Scripture is the foundation of all predication. For the secular humanist, autonomous man, who is himself the arbitrary product of chance, who exists in an ever-changing universe, which also is a product of chance, is the foundation of knowledge and meaning. And we're going to see that there's serious problems with the pagan view. (coughs) Christ's teaching on neutrality teaches us that we need to be epistemologically self-aware. Everything must be subjected to Scripture, even how you arrive at knowledge. So you cannot assume neutrality. And I've seen these debates between evangelicals who really don't know a whole lot and, uh, and intellectual atheists, and the atheists eat their lunch. But if you understand presuppositionalism and how they can't justify what they're saying if you look at their presuppositions. They have to stand on the Christian world and life view to even make their arguments. You can blow these people out of the water. And in our encounters with unbelievers, we must press them to be epistemologically self-conscious regarding their position. In other words, you know, you see these... uh, I was watching a thing, it was, it was a stream of the best segments of atheists smashing Christianity that some atheists put on YouTube. <clears throat> and he had one guy on there, and, and, and the guy asked, him, well, what, what do you think of the argument? Well, if, if there is no God and everything evolved, uh, there can be no ethics. And his response was, well, I'm ethical. I have a conscience. That's not the point. if everything evolved from chance, yeah, you may have a conscience, but whatever you believe is arbitrary, and it doesn't matter. It has no authority. It's simply your opinion. And for everybody who might think, well, it's not a good idea to murder babies, there's ten people that think it's okay to murder babies. I like the one where he's all, well, Sweden has become very secular, and Sweden is a very ethical society. Yeah, well, they're living on the borrowed capital of Christendom. Now, we can prove that our system accounts for knowledge, ethics, and reality, while the unbelieving system of thought, if practiced consistently, cannot account or justify any of their beliefs... We must point out the absurdity of the unbelievers' rebellion and intellectual autonomy from God and command them to believe in Christ and bow the knee to his perfect word. Man's interpretation of reality can only be correct if it corresponds to God's revealed interpretation found in Special Revelation, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Once we understand how to apply the principle of no neutrality, even in our epistemology and ethics we can easily point out the absurdity and bankruptcy of the secular humanistic worldview. Now, there's a couple of these English fellows. Was it Dawkins, Hawkins? I forgot his name. And they write all these things about uh, how evil Christianity is and how evil religion is. One thing that these the secular humanists always do is they lump biblical Christianity in with Hinduism and Buddhism and all these absurd myths uh, And cults, like uh, Islam. Islam, of course, is a religion of violence and warfare and bloodshed, and it's completely immoral. And uh, the founder of Islam was a rapist and a murderer. Uh, So that's one thing they do. They they lump Christianity with all these things. And then they talk about how if we get rid of religion, the world will be a wonderful place of peace and happiness, and there won't be any crime or wars anymore. And then they fail to talk about the fact that uh, communists... Atheists in the 20th century murdered over 100 million people. The Roman Catholic Church, which is not a a good form of Christianity, it's a very corrupt form that's inconsistent with Scripture, murdered thousands of people throughout the Middle Ages, especially during the Counter-Reformation. But we're talking thousands of people. Atheists have murdered hundreds of millions of people. So this argument is fallacious, In fact, fact, the believer must steal from the Christian world and life view in order to attempt to defend their position. Why, for example, should there be fixed laws of science in a chance ever-evolving universe? Because you want to talk about fixed scientific laws, right? Well, that all came from Christianity. If it's a chance universe that's always in flux, why would there be fixed laws? How can there be laws of logic in a purely chance universe? The idea of an absolute, unchanging, unalterable universal laws in a purely chance or contingent universe of pure matter and floating randomly in the void makes no sense whatsoever. And this point is especially obvious in the realm of ethics. Now, they always bring up the fact, well, I believe in ethics, I believe in being good, well, how do you know what's good or bad? How do you define that? Well, I have a conscience. Well, the Christian world and life view speaks about the Christian conscience because the mannishness of man, we're created in the image of God. Men have moral emotions. Men have the work of the law written in the heart, Romans 2.15. The Christian world and life view explains why there's a conscience. If we evolve from pond scum and the rule of nature is to be red in tooth and claw and kill your neighbor to advance yourself, then this idea of morality is, is a farce. They're stealing from the Christian world and life view. They're stealing from Christian ethics. And they do so inconsistently and arbitrarily. <clears throat> in a chance materialistic universe where everything is in flux, how can one claim that there are objective absolute morals? Do you believe that murder is wrong? Do you believe that child molestation and bestiality are wrong? Well, most people do. The question that must be answered then is why? The secular humanistic worldview presupposes that nothing can exist above and beyond the universe. The idea of an infinite personal God who is transcendent, who reveals ethical absolutes to man, you shall not kill, you should not steal, you should not commit adultery, etc., is anathema to the atheistic naturalist. With no higher power, with nothing transcendent, with nothing absolute, the secular humanists must derive an ethical system from this world alone. And they wouldn't even disagree with that. But what is the modern view of the universe of reality? The universe is evolving. It is a product of chance. It is impersonal. It's in a state of flux. It's always changing. Man himself is a product of chance. Man himself is in a state of flux. Thus, the secular humanist teaches that ethics are evolving, arbitrary, subjective, relative, and changing. There is no out there or objectivity to ethics. There is no absolute right or wrong. That's their own teaching. That's their own presupposition. Why do you think they can say that uh, in 1840, homosexuals should be locked up, and then uh, 60 years later homosexuals are wonderful and we should have parades and we should have homosexual marriage because they don't believe that ethics are fixed. Man determines for himself what is right and wrong. For the secular humanist, the source of ethics, morality, and law is not God but man. The secular humanist says that ethics are whatever man happens to say they are at any given point in time. In such a system, moral law is merely opinion Custom, community standards, that's their own language. When they first legalized pornography and all these kind of things, they said, hey, if your community accepts it as okay, go ahead. Community standards. That the state, whatever the state says, or the Supreme Court, or an intellectual elite, like hospital ethical boards, who decide who's going to live and who's going to die, Man determines what is right and wrong for himself, and if man changes his mind, then what used to be wrong is now permissible and even virtuous. We're told by the Democratic Party and by the progressives that uh, young people mutilating their sex organs and taking drugs and pretending to be the opposite sex is a wonderful thing. We should praise it. We should honor it. And of course they do. They put in, corporations use people like that in their advertising. The secular humanist who seeks to establish ethical, ethical norms apart from the triune God of the Bible actually per- perverts and destroys ethical imperatives. Ethics cannot exist and operate in a void. If the universe is a product of chance and impersonal, then people have no real reason not to lie, cheat, murder, and steal. Other than the coercive power of the state, the police, the prisons. Young people aren't stupid. Do you really think that young people are going to be honest, chaste, and moral because their parents are some celebrity or the state says it's a good idea? All the talk of virtue is utter nonsense. To the Nazi, exterminating the Jews was virtuous. To Stalin and the communists, murdering 20 million farmers for humanity is virtuous. To the radical feminists, murdering unborn babies is virtually a sacrament. Sixty-four million have been murdered since nineteen seventy three. If morality is constantly changing, evolving, and if there is only what man happens to believe at any given point, then the modern ethical maxim is do whatever you want, just don't get caught, and if you do get caught, blame it on somebody else. You say, Brian, you're crazy. That's you're exaggerating how crazy their position. No, I'm not. In San Francisco, you can steal almost $1,000 and you won't even be arrested. And they're right now they're discussing a law that if you try to stop them, if you use coercion to stop the thieves in your store, you're going to get fined $18,000. Secular humanism has no ethical foundation whatsoever. And it leads to complete chaos and insanity in society. And we're seeing this in the democratically controlled progressive cities. The Democratic Party is simply more epistemologically self-aware than the Republicans. They're far more evil, they're far more consistent with atheism and secular humanism. And we can see it. The more consistent they become, the more they're going to become like Vladimir Putin and become complete tyrants. (coughs) Man is himself a product of chance plus matter randomly floating in the void, can, based on their own concept of reality, at best only offer subjective opinions based on a very finite, limited experience. These opinions, according to their own worldview, are subject to change, and constant revision, based on random cultural and political conditions. For example, atheists, almost universally in the late 1800s, were racists. And the macroevolutionary theory was tied intimately to racism. But at that time, they were against abortion and homosexuality. Presently, they say that they are against racism, while they advocate racism, but believe murdering babies and committing sodomy is a wonderful, ethical, wonderful, blessed thing. They, based on their own worldview, should admit that ethics are essentially arbitrary, subjective, evolving, changing, non universal, or situational. And that's Anton LaVey, Tom, uh, Alistair Crowley, the great Satanist, the great musician that all these hippies worship. His, ma- his mantra, do what thou wilt. Whatever you want to do is automatically ethical because you are God. That's the mantra of Satanism. And that's the, the mantra of the Democratic Party. Do whatever you want as long as it has nothing to do with the Bible and Christianity. <clears throat> The secular humanistic intellectuals of the 19th and 20th centuries have been the sharpest critics of Bible-believing Christianity. They teach that the Bible is ancient mythology for a bygone era. They believe that society must rid itself of biblical teaching in favor of science and rationality. The secular elitist even promised that once biblical teaching was removed from the schools and universities in our country, real progress would be made in solving mankind's problems. And if you want to see the vision of this, if you look at optimistic humanism, secular humanism of the 1960s, look at the Star Trek show. Well, even the one, in the, even the one that they did in the 90s. In the future, there's no disease has been conquered. There's no more crime. There's no more racism. Uh, everything's just wonderful. Secular humanism has flourished, and everybody's blessed. That's their view. That's their utopia. They believe in utopianism through atheism. <clears throat> But actually, the secular humanist placing of the Bible against science and reason is a lie. The Christian worldview and the Christian God are the foundation of science and reason. While it is true that Christians oppose absurd theories that are presently presented dishonestly as fact by many in the scientific community, such as macroevolutionary theory, it is also true that the Bible, not secular humanism, is the true champion of science and reason. In fact, a consistent secular humanism is the death of science and reason. And we're seeing that with the epidemic. You know, you've got to wear a mask. You've got to get this jab in the arm, even though the jab is way more harmful to young people than not getting the jab. The secondary materialistic view of reality states that the universe is a product of chance or pure contingency. Everything that is is an accident. Everything is a product of chance. In an impersonal chance universe where chaos, flux, and randomness are king, personality, meaning, and universal laws of logic clearly have no place. If the secular evolutionary worldview is true, then your life and existence have no meaning whatsoever. You are nothing more than an accumulation of atoms randomly floating in the void. Your thoughts, desires, relationships, love, and deepest concerns are merely the illusions of chemical electronic impulses. You're simply a fleshly robot. You're an impersonal machine. You have no soul, no future, no hope. You and the random universe around you are heading toward extinction. They all believe this. There's going to be a supernova. Everybody who ever lived on planet Earth, all the great art, Beethoven, Mozart, Handel, it'll all be forgotten forever. It'll be as though you never existed. Your life has no more significance than pond scum. And these statements are the logical implications of the secular humanistic worldview. All the talk of love and justice and meaning and helping your fellow man are simply holdovers from the Christian world and life view. Secular humanism, the progressive Democrats, the Democratic Party, they teach hatred, and their, their whole philosophy is based on lies and propaganda. The atheistic university professor and the socialist politician may speak much of justice and love and brotherhood, But they're stealing all such ideas from from biblical Christianity. That's where those ideas come from. Because such things are really only possible in a God created and God controlled personalistic universe. I mean, love and brotherhood. You're simply a hairless ape. And when you die, it'll be as though you never even lived. There's nothing beyond death. Who cares? If you were Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa, you all end up in the same place, in the void of nothingness forever. The secular humanistic appeal to reason <clears throat> as a bulwark against the Christian faith is most amusing. Now, what is necessary for human logic to be useful and even possible? For logic or reason, to be of any use to man, it must be unchanging. If it changes, it's you can't have a rubber measuring stick, it won't, you know, or, you, you, know you, you have to have something solid that's, that doesn't change. What do unchanging laws of logic presuppose? They presuppose an ordered universe. They presuppose an all-powerful God who controls all created reality. They presuppose an absolute unchanging God who stands behind and is the sustainer of all created reality. They presuppose that God created man in His image with a certain non-evolving fixed nature. Man is not plastic-evolving man, but a created rational being. The secular humanistic worldview where everything is in flux, including man, makes unchanging laws of logic an impossibility. The only unchanging law in such a system is that everything is changing. I like Van Till's illustration. If if you're an atheist, if you believe in macroevolution, uh, you're a man made out of water in a a sea of water trying to climb up a stairway of water trying to reach up to a heaven made of water. Without a reference point, you can't have meaning. When the secular humanist uses logic or reason in order to argue against the Christian God, once again, he must steal from the Christian worldview in order to do so. He must presuppose the Christian view of reality and the Christian view of man in order to use logic. Therefore, When the secular humanist argues against the infinite personal God of the Bible, he's like a little child who must sit on his father's lap in order to slap his face. Furthermore, since the laws of logic are themselves not open to empirical observation any more than God, who is pure spirit, secular humanists have no more reason, according to their own presuppositions, to believe that logic exists than that God exists. Therefore, their arguments against God, who has revealed himself in the Bible, are arbitrary and inconsistent. Oh, like, one of these atheists I was watching, Harrison, he's, he's real famous. He's popular with young people. Oh, they believe in the invisible man. And this invisible man, he really doesn't like what you do. He watches what you do when you're naked, and he doesn't like certain things. You know, mocking God, essentially. Mocking God, essentially. Well, yeah, we can't see God. God is a spirit. That's true. But when you stand on the second floor of your house, you don't see the beams in the floor, yet you know the beams are there by implication. How many people have seen a black hole or a quasar? Nobody has. (laughs) But you can infer that they are there. This, oh, I haven't seen God, like the the Soviets when they first went into outer space. We've looked around, we can't see God. Such arguments are absolute nonsense. And they don't apply that to, to their own views, they only apply it to Christians. Christianity is not the enemy of science, but it's an mother. The Christian view of the universe as created and controlled by God is what makes science possible. If there is no transcendent God above and beyond the created universe, and if anything, everything is nothing more than matter plus time plus chance, then could not the universe just explode or implode or dissipate or turn inside out tomorrow? Why not? Why not? If it arose by chance, then why not? The fact that God created the universe to be orderly and structured and the fact that God comprehensively controls all aspects of created reality are what makes science possible. That is why modern science arose in the Christian West and not the pagan East. And I didn't take the time, but if you read these statements of these early Christian scientists, they arrived at their conclusions based on the Christian world and life view. They're half, God has created the universe in an orderly manner. He controls it. It is structured. The atheistic scientists must presuppose the Christian view of reality in order to conduct experiments and make logical inferences. In a chance universe, there is no reason why universal laws, such as the second law of thermodynamics, should be universal. There is no reason or guarantee that tomorrow or next week or next year, all the various scientific laws will not somehow change and mutate. Just because something has functioned in a certain way in the past is no guarantee of its functioning the same way in the future, because the future is not the past. Scientific laws are dependent upon the God of the Bible who absolutely controls every aspect of created reality. So once again, once again, the irony is that the secular humanist must presuppose the Christian philosophy of life in order to criticize the Christian philosophy of life especially when you watch these atheists on YouTube they make all sorts of crap they're not good philosophers they're not these men may be smart and they may be good speakers and so forth and very popular but they don't know logic and they don't know uh, they don't know how christian worldviews interact the secular humanist worldview if consistent would declare that knowledge and meaning are unattainable in such a system it is as though man is made of a water in an ocean of water climbing a stairway of water into a sky of water with no fixed reference point for meaning and knowledge, a secular humanist is left in the void of nihilism. Nihilism. Life has no meaning. Life is just worthless nonsense. Now, they deny that, and they're right to deny that, but to do so, they must presuppose the Christian world and life view. So man, according to their own worldview, can only offer us subjective opinions based on a very finite, limited experience. And then, I'll just consider this quickly, the illustration of the return of the unclean spirit. After discussing the significance of his power over Satan and the impossibility of neutrality, Jesus tells the story of the one who has a demon leave him and then takes seven even worse demons and returns, making the state of that man far worse than before. Luke 1124 24-26, we read, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, and seeking rest, finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I come. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes out and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there and the last day of that man is worse than the first. In the parallel account given in Matthew 12, our Lord connects this illustration to the current Jewish generation. Verse 45, (coughs) So shall it be also with this wicked generation. Now here the general focus is not a lecture on demonology. But he's making an application based on his teaching on the impossibility of neutrality. He's speaking about the great danger of an insincere or half-hearted repentance without a true faith commitment that perseveres. And this truth applies both individually on a national level, and I know I'm running out of time, so I'll be very quick. We've all experienced, or at least of us who are older, the tragic case of backsliders who apostatize and go back to the world. It is one thing to never know the gospel and to live in heathenism, But it is something far worse to possess the clear knowledge of the gospel and then deliberately reject it and go back to the world. A deliberate choice of Satan, sin, and the world over Christ hardens the soul in great evil and makes one a special enemy of God. You're worse off. There are some common forms of apostates that I've encountered that illustrate our Lord's application. One is a person raised a Christian who rejects it and then gives himself over to hedonism and debauchery, drunkenness, drugs, fornication, filthy speech, complete commitment to sinful pleasures. And in this vein let me just mention Sam Kinison. If you're younger, you don't, you don't know who he is. He died I believe it was 1993. raised a Christian, he was a Christian preacher, became a comedian. Uh, was vehemently anti-Christian in his comedy, became a uh, cocaine addict and a drug addict and a total debauchery, hanging out with rock stars and porno stars and so forth. Well, he uh, was on his way to Las Vegas and uh, he died in a head-on collision, got hit by a drunk driver and died uh, on the on high, the highway going to Las Vegas after you near Needles, California. <clears throat> You have something, and this is. There's another comedian I could also give you an example of. Also, he's from Texas, and uh, he died. Of, I forget what he died of, cancer or something, in his 30s. But people who are raised Christian who reject it tend to be more evil and to mock the Bible even more than people that are simply pagans, and that's a fact. Sam Kinison, one example. The other example I'll give you, <clears throat> just real quickly is you've heard of Francis Schaefer, the great theologian. He's written, a, I have a number of his books. I think I have all of his books. And his son, Frankie Schaefer used to produce his movies. And Frankie Schaefer was a professing Christian. Of course, he's raised in a very godly home with uh, Francis Schaeffer. Raised a strict Christian. And he, he even wrote a good book uh, on uh, culture. I forget what it's called. He wrote a pretty good book. And he helped his father's Christian documentaries. But he, he apostatized from the faith. First, in the, I believe it was the 90s, he adopted uh, Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, or the, the Orthodox Church. And he wrote a very big, thick book against Protestantism, in which he lies about Calvin and makes several accusations against Protestantism that are absolutely false. Then, after this, he com- became completely a reprobate and uh, was advocating positions held by the Democratic Party and the progressives. So here's a guy raised a Christian who becomes a, a stated enemy of Christians. So, the last date is worse than the first. More, and, and this is true of people f- from theonomy who converted to Roman Catholicism, which is apostasy. And they become apologists for the Roman Catholic Church against Protestantism. In other words, against biblical Christianity. And they spend their time really blaspheming. <clears throat> Now note in our restoration the unclean spirit departs from that man voluntarily. He goes out not because he's forced out, he wanders around in the desert and decides to go back, but takes seven of his comrades that are even more evil. The demons find rest and comfort in the hearts of the wicked being outwardly reformed or possessing a certain level of civic righteousness does not protect a man from demonic oppression. Only regeneration, true faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives real liberty. And here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Such persons do really become more wicked, more hardened, more ungodly than they were before they, were, they professed to be Christians. When Satan wants a servant who will do anything and asks no questions who will swallow swallow camels as well as gnats, he finds one that once stood high in the Christian church. These renegades, these traitors, these Judases, these men who have known the truth and have been once in the manner enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and the powers of the world to come in a certain sense and yet fall away. These become like salt that is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. They are henceforth trees twice dead, plucked up by the roots, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever." Remember, they are reserved places in the pit, and those are reserved for as apostates are, end of quote. And there are hundreds, literally hundreds of apostate Protestant ministers who are advocates for atheism, for Romanism, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and other satanic worldviews. And they are the most articulate defenders of the Satan's work for they are demonic to the core. So stand fast. Persevere in the faith. And know that if you do depart, you'll become even more wicked. And of course, just real quickly, our Lord's parabolic story applies specifically to the Jewish nation who rejected Christ and persecuted the church. The Jews had syncretized and were guilty of worshiping idols. This is a serious problem, and it was basically cured when they were taken captive by Babylon. It was that 586 BC? They never practiced idolatry after that. They set aside, um, <clears throat> but they made many reforms, but they became proud, self righteous, developed a system of salvation through law keeping. They set aside the theology of Scripture and developed their own system based on human traditions. And by abandoning justification by faith alone, they did not possess the Holy Spirit. And thus the people, generally speaking, for there was always a remnant of true saints, became a wicked and immoral generation. This generation murdered the author of life and persecuted the Christian church throughout the Roman Empire. The evil spirits had returned and their end was even worse than before. The kingdom was taken from the Jews and given to the New Covenant Church. God allowed them to be slaughtered by the Roman Empire for their persecution of Christ and the Church. And then we'll just end with our culture. This also applies to the Christian West, or what was called Christendom. The nations of Europe and America for many centuries were swept and garnished. Idolatry, witchcraft, homosexuality was kept deep in the closet for it was highly illegal. As kings, queens, princes, and people swore loyalty to Jesus, the old gods who ruled over the people for thousands of years were cast aside. Human sacrifice and ritual styled murder were declared an abomination and outlawed. The old pagan law orders were replaced by law orders that reflected Christian ethics. <clears throat> now certainly this period had its problems and there was declension and there was corruption of worship and it was obviously not perfect. But this form of Christianity is what made Europe the greatest most scientific and artistic advanced area on earth, and especially Northern Europe, where Protestantism flourished. And we are still living today under the economic blessings of past Christian generations. But these nations cast off the Christian world and life view due to declension, apostasy, and unbelief. They departed from the Christian interpretation of reality, meaning, and ethics. They rejected the inspiration and authority of Scripture. They rejected Jesus Christ and Yahweh, the the true and living God of the Bible. The civil government, centers of power, educational institutions, and vast numbers of corporations have embraced atheistic naturalism or secular humanism. And there is a sense in which, in this emphatic rebellion and rejecting not just general revelation, but special revelation, they are much worse off than they were before as simply rank pagans. They've rebelled against a far brighter light and they are much more epistemologically aware of their choice to reject God for human autonomy and sin. And the result is a culture that is becoming more and more demonic over time. This slide into demonic influence and control is seen in a number of practices. Abortion on demand until the time of birth. 64 million babies have been murdered already. The legalization and praise of sodomites and lesbians as well as the transgendered perverts. The legalization of theft in democratic cities up to almost a thousand dollars. And the punishment of victims. The allowance of open drug markets and defecating in the streets. The state is the creator of ethics and laws. The use of fiat currency or legalized counterfeiting by the state. Theft by the state. That's where inflation comes from. It comes from them printing money. It's theft. The civil government spending trillions of dollars it does not have. The deliberate and active legal prosecution, persecution of Christians who do not cooperate, cooperate with the sodomite transgendered agenda. Our nation is radically evil and most Americans vote for this evil to continue. Our only hope is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Don't put your hope in Trump. Trump's an adulterer, habitual liar. As presidents go, he's the best president since Reagan and he's a hundred times better than any Democrat. But don't trust in Trump. Trump's not a Christian. He's not a righteous man. The alternative to the biblical Christianity is not freedom and blessing, but evil and slavery to demonic forces. Satan told Eve that the path to blessing and happiness is human autonomy from God. Don't submit to God, become your own God! The result of the satanic philosophy is leading the West, America, to economic ruin and destruction. If our nation abandons its attempt to be neutral with respect to religion, which is mostly... It is most certainly not. It advocates secular humanism and bows the knee to Christ and institutes biblical law. Our nation will be a great nation. You won't have inflation if you adopt the gold standard and quit printing money and stealing so you can buy votes. This will only occur if the church faithfully evangelizes and God brings us reformation and revival. So there's a little application. I know I've gone on a bit. Things are the way they are Predictably, the Bible tells us this. When a people cast off the word of God and adopt secular humanism, they become like wild beasts. Go to the ghettos. Go on YouTube and type in Kensington, Pennsylvania. And look at the zombies, the drug addicts all over the place and prostitutes and people passed out and people defecated. Or San Francisco or Seattle or Portland. Liberalism progressives, the democratic left, the atheistic naturalists, will lead us to ruin and destruction by God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us meaning. You give our life meaning. And we have hope in Christ. We live for him. We know that ethics are real. We know that meaning is real. We know that you define reality and that we bow the knee to your son. And Lord, cause us to obey him in all things. Bend our hearts to obey. Convict us when we sin and cause us to confess and repent immediately. In Jesus' name, amen.